0: Welcome to Color Him Dads with hosts Marvin and Jeanette Charles. Marvin, Jeanette, and their guests are here to provide tools to struggling fathers that will help them navigate systems and overcome challenges they face, attempting to enter or re-enter the lives of their children and families. They're here to inform, encourage, and bring hope as they confront the epidemic of fatherlessness head on. Now, here are Marvin and Jeanette.
1: Welcome to Color Him Dads. This is our fifth episode. And I have to tell you that I did not uh, uh, expect to be on our fifth episode, but I am excited to be on this episode, because I have a special friend with me, uh, Dr. Ken Canfield, Um, a a person that I think very highly of I in fact, uh, when I describe Ken, I say he's one of the leading researchers in this country on fatherhood. Um, And he's been a great mentor for over 20 years with me. And I'm excited about the fact that um, he's been able to do this. And um, so, Ken, we didn't script this, uh, but I've been in your presence a number of times where, and, and and likewise, you've been in mines. And so we're just gonna kind of shoot from the hip, but I'm gonna be leaning on you. Um, and, and our conversation is just going to be around uh, a, about three subjects. And that is the first subject is our journey uh, to fatherhood and how we got here, mm-hmm. how I kind of got in your life, but at the same time, how you kind of led the charge in the country. Uh, back in the 80s, 90s, and when 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 this really wasn't a thing on people's radar screen, uh, I remember finding you and thinking I had found the holy grail because there was somebody who was believing in what I was feeling and trying to do. Uh, and then we'll talk about um, your journey, how you had to step away from to care for your bride. Uh, But then um, you found yourself coming back into it. And I I really want the audience to hear about the work you wound up doing in Los Angeles, working with uh, inmates and children who uh, had fathers that were inmates and how that role went. I, I don't think enough people have heard about that work. And then third and lastly, um, I want you to talk about the grandfather's uh, issues that um, you've been tackling and following and doing. And by the way, uh, I have five grandchildren now, Ken. I don't know if I could, I'd ever think that was going to be possible. But yes, I do have Uh, five grandchildren. So I'd like for you to speak on that as well. So um, again, without any further ado, my friend, mentor, and one of the leading voices in this country around fatherhood, my friend, Dr. Ken Canfield.
0: Marvin, as always, it's a delight to be a team partner. It seems like our paths were being divinely uh, woven together, even though we were apart. And We've come to know uh, we're brothers from another father. Right. <laughs> and both, uh, you know, the the spiritual connection, which I think is so vital right now. Call it ethical or moral, but how important it is for fathers to weigh in. I think that is critical. Well, my journey started uh, really uh, as a son. You can't be the father you want to be until you're first the son. And that brings a whole bunch of issues forward. Now, why would I say that? Because you often will do the same thing your father did, be it good or bad. You know, apples don't fall far from the tree. And you see the the consequences of that many times in the prisons of America, where I, I just looked at a study in a Midwestern state where 42% of the inmates... That were incarcerated had their father, grandfather, uncle, or brother also incarcerated. Mm-hmm. So you see some uh, sort of um, continuity in a negative sense there. And we know that fatherlessness is just rampant. Uh, our our kids are vulnerable. The innocence is being slowly stripped away by the culture. But you are, are a unique person and. Marvin, you fit in what we call the overcomer father. Mm. You didn't have the dad that you wanted. And I have a 15-item inventory to talk about uh, the satisfaction of your childhood, where you are today, where you want to go, the hope quotient, and so forth. And then I analyze this, and you've got Happy pappies, those are guys that had good dads, like you and I are seeking to be, and the Mm -hmm. likelihood of having good sons and daughters is significantly higher because we're motivated, we have the passion.
1: Mm -hmm. And
0: then another, you have the plotter fathers who are just hanging in there, kind of doing the same old thing. Now, this could be good. It could also be negative if you fall in that trap. And then we have these two things going on. We have just rampant fatherlessness. When you don't have a dad, you, you miss the modeling and that connection that is so key in male development. But here are you uh, leading an organization, and you're an overcomer father who had a childhood that was less than optimum, but for some reason, you were motivated from a heartfelt passion to reconnect with your kids. And your story is epic, Marvin. Mm -hmm. Don't underestimate what was going on in your heart and what God empowered you to do by getting back on the fatherhood train, which you had little, uh, what I'd say, uh, examples to follow, and then finding those examples, and then recognizing you can be a dad, which you have and are doing not perfect because there are no perfect fathers yes, exactly right exactly yeah right i mean we're we're all kind of adventurers and pioneers so when we met i i noted that your passion was a differentiator so so dads i, I or moms whoever is listening to this podcast today i want to tell you this passion supersedes knowledge you can gain knowledge you can grow in your maturity and experience but the passion that comes from that heart is what will be a difference maker because all fathers are going through stuff some more so and marvin's an example i would say that if we were to kind of parse this out about 30% of the dads in america right now a little a little more i think it's 32% are what we call happy dads in other words they did have a reasonable not a perfect but a dad who was in the home who was there to teach guide model do the things that dad should do do sports do activities do what is expected of be at the birth of their child and those dads are 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 kind of the, the the safeguard that that is also Kind of falling in numbers uh then you have the other dads that are anywhere from the plotter dads they aren't overcoming obstacles because let's say you had a great dad if you don't improve on that you're not letting that passion really drive you Uh and that is so important because you can't depend on the laurels or the history of your own dad you got to carve new territory and then you have dads that are what I call the discouraged dad. And this is, you know, those are dads that may have children out of wedlock, the drama with the baby mama, trying to understand how to negotiate that in a way that's going to be helpful uh, to your child. That is a discouraged dad that can overcome. But again, connecting with other dads are very important. And then about 21% are are the overcomer fathers and that's the, what you fit in marvin and and that is so cool to see guys kind of come out of the flames or come out of the ashes and yeah. say i can do this but the secret right here is the connection with uh, a good base of other fathers who are trying to do the same thing gotcha. like you have established right there mm. so that mm. gives a little bit of the background and and uh and then we meet and I find out that you are full of passion. And then I meet this this uh mother of your children, Jeanette, <laughs> who's full of passion, and I say, get out of the way, uh Seattle <laughs> and greater area, something is gonna happen. And so I was just blessed to be with you to provide curriculum support, you know, metrics that Demonstrate change that comes because we're all in it to strengthen the outcomes of our children and our grandchildren.
1: You know, I want to share one thing that I don't know if you remember this, but I was I was at your place in Kansas doing a training with uh, Dr. George Williams. And I think we were—it it was a group of us who had took the training from all over the country, and we were coming back to do a fresher course or something. And we were in um, at at that place in Shawnee, Kansas, and we were going to spend like twenty-four hours together, uh, all of us. It was about twelve of us. And and we were from. Uh, I remember a gentleman by the name of Peyton Montague. I don't know yes. if you remember him. Oh yes. And so um, we were we were in this room, and somebody made a comment about well, we believe it could have been a lot more black fathers involved in this this uh, training. And I think it was probably four of us out of the 12 were black and African-Americans. And then um, the rest were Caucasian brothers. And and I was like, no, this has a potential of getting off on the wrong foot. So I kind of stood up in the middle and said, hey, can we all put our, we, we, we all had our chairs in the circle, but I asked Peyton, would he sit next to me in the middle of this circle that we were at? So it was he, and me, black and white, sitting in the middle. And then I asked the brothers, I said, "Can we're in the center of the United States right here, being in Shawnee, Kansas. And if, if we if we do this right, we can have an impact in this country if we start right here, not based on color or race or race, but let's just base it on the work that God has before us today to impact this country through fatherlessness, through fatherhood. And and we have the right platform to do it. We're here at the National Center for Fathering. So before I take all the energy I have and look at it from a negative perspective, I wanna ask you brothers to commit with me to look at this from a positive and let's do everything that we can to make sure that it wa- And And Ken, that was maybe 20 years ago that we did that. And I gotta tell you, uh, we left out of there, each one of us, jazz, not because we were black or white, but because we had a mission. We felt that we were called to be able to impact this country through working on fatherhood as fathers, starting with our own families, but then committed to working with other families and fathers. So I, I just, I remember, it was those kind of starts that you helped me to grow
0: into. You know, what what you're saying, Marvin, is so key. The antithesis to fatherlessness is fatherfulness. You overcome evil with good. And I think there is enough critical mass right now to see the, what I'd say, the beginnings of uh, a deep movement. Now, it takes, you know, decades, because children just don't change overnight, meaning fathers, you know, have to sow continually for one, two, three decades. And, you know, children make decisions, and we want them to mature uh, in their own right. But we will never uh, know the full impact of this fatherfulness when we apply it to our family. Mm -hmm. Uh, We can see the effects, you know, when you're nurturing, when you're consistent, when you're tuned in to your children's friends, their heroes, Mm -hmm. uh, when we're involved with both quantity time and quality time. But then that has to be embedded in them through the heart. And so, again, I just want to circle around you overcome evil with good. And we're going to have problems. We're going to have homelessness. We're going to have wars. We're going to have famines. (laughs) We're going to have climate stuff. But when it comes down to the household and the heart of the family, your investment as a dad, listen closely. Don't underestimate it. Mm. I see too many guys that they underestimate, well, my kid won't care or, you know, the teacher will do what's necessary or The pastor, the scout leader, the coach, come on. There is a unique role that you play that is like no other. And when we tune into that, we connect with that heartfelt connection that is so important that lasts through the lifespan.
1: Mm. Wow man I'm I'm feeling like I'm in training all over again, man and I'm honey, I'm working on the second half of my family, right? The grandchildren, right? So tell me a little bit about that and what you're experiencing or finding that we all need to know around that aspect.
0: One of the research pieces I did is look at the life course of fathering and I, I say with a, a little bit of candor, you know, it's easy to father when you have uh, toddlers who don't talk back and <laughs> smile and jump in your lap. And, and then when they get to that, that preschool age, uh, you begin to interact in, in a different way. Just the rough and tumble play that's healthy, that has boundaries, is so important to the, to the social and emotional development of your daughter and your son. And then they go off to school and you're kind of launching them. And and that is where staying connected is so important. Then the teenage years, I call it the age of enlightenment. And that's when you're being tested in a new way because you know you were a teenager once. You have to deal with some of those things you may have kind of shoved under the carpet and don't want to talk about. It. But yeah. if you're an honest, vulnerable dad, you're going to be... Uh, able to confront in a healthy way and be caring in the midst of doing that. Then, and I'm getting to that grandparenting role, uh, you you (laughs) launch them as young adults. Uh, They go to maybe a a trade school, military, college, uh, or just go get a job. And then they're on their own. And you can begin to see how that example, that lifestyle, the values that you live by how it's going to be incorporated in their life. Then comes the grandfathering stage. Mm -hmm. It starts all over and it is powerful. So think of this, think of a U-shaped curve. You start up here just really joyful. You know, you're a dad. And even though there may be custody issues, there may be upstream issues that are hard. The fact that you're a dad is a sense of destiny. When you get going, there is a dip in what I'd say your fathering satisfaction, and there's empirical support for this. Mm -hmm. And what the dip is, is it requires you to work harder and do the things that maybe you didn't have the experience of with your dad, and you hit the teenage years, and it's the lowest time of fathering, and and for that matter, parental satisfaction, because then you're trying to deal with all that. I say that then it starts to come up as your children become independent. And when you become a grandfather, it reaches another point where you cycle through this generativity. And knowing your grandfather, I'm a grandfather, there is a sense of what I call generational joy that just comes because you know you can play with those kids. And then if it's all intact, you can send them home with their (laughs) parents. And they have to deal with the heavy lifting stuff that you had to deal with. But then you become that generational or clan or leader, which is, again, so important. And with extended lifespan, just think of this, Marvin. Uh, In 1900, and that's a little over a century ago, Uh, the life expectancy was in the late 40s. Now we're in the 70s and 80s. So recognize this, you will spend as much as 30% of your lifespan being a grandfather. Mm. Whoa, Mm. Uh, that is powerful. And again, that role, even though there's a lot less time, is so profound. And we see stories after stories about grandparents that have, you know, reached in to to help their grandchildren or just being there as a a safeguard. And if you're healthy, and I want, you know, every listener to, to think we've got to stay in this game, as much as 12 the 15% of your life, you could be a great-grandparent. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So I see this, this cycle of fathering to be ongoing. And again, whether you're a father, a grandfather, or a great-grandfather, never underestimate that role and that influence that you have. It's a, a place of authority and depth of care.
1: Well, it's it's really amazing that you test on that because i have two grandchildren i have five but i have two grandchildren that are my youngest uh a boy that's uh probably just to right around five months old and then i have a granddaughter who's about seven to eight months old and i'm looking at them and i'm watching them and i'm seeing you know, my reaction to them and the reaction of how their mothers were, um, because I doted over their mothers when they were the youngest of my children. And I'm watching how I'm doting over these grandbabies. But I'm also like, as you just mentioned, I'm watching how their parents are doting over them, how the fathers that are involved, and they do have involved fathers. And I'm I mean you know it's it's just amazing to see that and some of this stuff i didn't do i see them doing and i know i've learned enough over the years to know that if you're involved to the degree that they're involved and i wasn't that the outcome is going to be better and and i i just really try to go out of my way to be supportive in that because i there was no encouragement for marvin when marvin started that journey and so i realize how much that's impacted me and i want to make sure that they're not these two young couples are not impacted by that and because these are my grandchildren i get an automatic right to apply that to them as well as to myself so spot on ken spot on for that hey so listen I wanna I wanna give our listeners uh a little bit more of your history. And so I'm gonna ask you to kind of talk about the work you were doing in Los Angeles. I think I've always found that very fascinating and how you were able to work with the kids and work with the incarcerated men and their children. So can you give us a little bit of that?
0: Sure. Uh as we know, uh America incarcerates a little over 2 million. Uh, and that's not including county jails. And uh, these men, uh, and those 2 million are men, we also, of course, uh, car- incarcerate women, too, that have broken crimes, uh, by and large, predominantly come anywhere from, I'd say, 80 to 85% from fatherless house homes. Uh, mm-hmm. In other words, it, one of the things that a father does is provide guidelines, boundaries, and discipline. And and when you don't have that, uh, when the daddy bear says, hey, don't do that because these are consequences, you only have your peers if you're growing up in a, a barrio or a neighborhood to guide you. And they'll guide you the wrong way. They'll say, push the limits and do stuff that will get you in trouble. So here you have a group of fatherless men, by and large, with a lot of time on their hands. And so we uh, uh, started to go in and do basic things, Uh, basic things, just helping them understand their role as a father. And of those 85%, 80 to 85%, roughly about 75 to 80% were fathers. So You had a dad incarcerated his son out here. The first thing that we did, Marvin, is say, okay, we wanna talk about something that's gonna cause some emotion in you. What did you want or what did you hope you should have received from your uh, father? So we had time to dig into the father wound. And I remember giving a guy a piece of paper and saying, hey, we want to write a little note to your dad, what you wished you would have had. And and uh, a pencil. I mean, some of the guys, us, like you wouldn't be believe, uh, broke up the pencil. He, why, why are you bringing that up? You know, they wanted to know. And I, we would just say, stick with us, because coming to terms with that is going to help you turn the corner to be the father that you didn't have. So we would get into some real horror stories of just abuse and abandonment and absence. It would just, I mean, and, and then the guys who were incarcerated thought, oh, I thought I had it bad. I mean, I wasn't sexually abused by my dad. And I mean, we heard stories across the gamut. And then we recognized let's see, your dad was somebody else's son. We don't know the path he walked. Mm -hmm. And it opened up this awareness that one of the things that you can do is recognize the impact that your father had on you, recognize you may not know all the details because you don't of his growing up, but looking for a gap and saying, hey, I'm going to lay that down. I know the pain that that caused. I'm just going to say that was my dad and exercise something that's out of this world. Just forgive the guy for what he did. Mm -hmm. Now that doesn't mean forget, because you can't erase those memories. But forgiveness is something that's supernatural. When they began to do that, that you could see the corner turn. And a couple of guys said, okay, I see. I didn't know what my dad went through. Yeah, I recognize He may have had stuff that was worse than he gave me. Okay, Mm -hmm. I let it go. I'm going to put it over here. Then what we did, Marvin, I said, okay, I want you to write a want ad for the type of dad that you want, as though we were going to take an ad out or put it on Facebook or social media. Wanted a dad. Nice guy. Uh, gives me lots of slack money, you know, da, da 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 And it got really funny because guys, you know, were asking for fancy cars and luxurious vacation. But in the core, there were some real simple things. The, the the trait that came up over and over is wanted a dad, someone I could depend on who will be there. And then we said, hey, maybe you've just written your own job description. So we took them and we brought in not just good research, but we brought in the power of the heavenly father. Look, this guy is vested in you. And I say that because he's disclosed himself as a father. Mm. And when they began to connect with that, it was like, wow, I need miraculous strength If I'm going to go forward and really do the work, we'd spend uh, another eight to 10 sessions on the I cans of fathering, talking about the importance of involvement. You know, kids spell love T.I.M.E. Now, these guys are incarcerated. How are we going to make that happen? Well, maybe we're going to write some notes. Maybe we're going to reach out and contact. Maybe we're going to ask them you know, for forgiveness for something we may have done to them or for not being there. The second was consistency. How can we predictably be there regularly for them, even though we're behind bars? Mm -hmm. Awareness is asking questions. Uh, What do you know about your kid's life? Now, if you've got a complex family system with, you know, two or three different children with two or three different women, it becomes huge and hard, but there are others that are have been there and that have worked through. And then the nurturance is, is there. And that's how do I express love and care? So we get them through and said, okay, this is what we're going to do. We, uh, and we had to go through all the red tape, mm-hmm. we are going to get permission to have your kids come to the facility and we're going to have them spend a day. We'll bring in bounce houses, fun games, uh, cook hot dogs and hamburgers. and, And we had to go through all of this in order for their kids to come and spend one day. Now, this is what happened, Marvin. The guys that were, you know, been through the class, done the work themselves, they were like, waiting, salivating for that day. When's it coming? Is my kid, has he responded? Did you get the communication? Now, there's always sad stories where, you know, there's too many people that keep, There's a, a passionate dad that's turned his life around from uh, getting the message to that kid. But for the kids that came that day, it was life-changing. Mm-hmm. They came from all over Los Angeles. We had them picked up at various stops and we would bring them in. And we had uh, a place outside with guards. And this is where I saw those that were prison officials, wardens, uh, even, you know, officers there. I saw them cry Mm. because this is what happened. We put the dads at one end of a soccer field and they were, you know, striped jumpsuits, all the stuff you have to wear. And we put the kids after they went through this long, you know, check the kids, did they bring anything in to give their dads, you know, went through all that. We put them down at the other end of the soccer field. And then with about, oh, I'd say 100, 150 volunteers, we lined up the sideline and one by one, we called the dad and the kids to run to the center of the field. We'd say, Marvin Charles, come get your kids. And the kids were waiting. They ran. Here's Marvin running. And all we did was cheer, like we were at the Super mm. Bowl. This was way mm. better than the Super Bowl because mm. everybody won. And I looked over, and I remember this: a couple of prison officials and a warden just mm. wiping away the tears because this was father-fullness, this was what God has planned for dads and kids. But for whatever reason, it's not happening. So we've been doing that uh, in Angola. I just was in Parchment, Mississippi. Talk about two prisons. They're both plantation prisons. I mean, talk about old school. And we've done it there in uh, several other places. But then you don't stop because Fathering isn't a sprint, it's a marathon. You know, just because you have this one day of fun in the sun and everybody's happy, hey, that's just the start of the game. We've got to pace ourselves. And so we've continued to support and grow this in various states uh, as we have been able to. And it takes time and resources uh, because the state doesn't pay for it. But it's the right thing to do. And, and in some way, you're doing that at a local level mm-hmm. in Seattle, in the area. You're bringing dads with tools so they can go and do this with their kids.
1: You know, um, I'm reminded, um, we, we Jeanette and I kind of took from your toolbox. And, and we didn't really have all the permission and stuff. But we had been doing some work in the city of Seattle, and this is how we were able we got permission we got permission to go into the halfway houses and that's where men are being housed that are leaving prison going back into the community but they have to do a certain i think it's 60 days or 90 days in the halfway house so we came up with this idea with having permission from um uh prison officials or the uh, CCOs, Community Corrections Officers, that ran this particular halfway house, and we they allowed us to co- co- go up in there for 16 weeks using uh, the curriculum you got me started with quenching the Father's Thirst. And so literally, uh, we would go in and teach this course, and it had all the things you just mentioned um the letters writing a letter to your kid the want ads um it talked about a number of things that we were able to um institute and 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 so the question would be so why there well what we found out is uh, and I, i'll never forget when it hit me children are a heck of a motivator so motivate what you would you would ask and the motivation was simply not to go back to prison right, right. And if you you had an opportunity to speak into your child's life or to work with your child, um, you would find out those things that most fathers take for granted or don't know even possible. My child don't want to see me. He don't want nothing to do with me. Well, one of the things I'd always say, and I've mentioned this in our previous podcast, that if you know anything about telemarketing, they tell you, before you hang up the phone from talking to a client you got and they tell you no i don't want to be bothered they tell you they train you to say you have to take three hard no's right for a Mm -hmm. product well just think about if the product is your child Uh, right? right? uh. you know what i mean (laughs) and then you, you 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 they say i don't want to see you well you should be able to take three hard no's that they don't want to see you why because you got to understand that A part of that are the emotions that they're feeling because they might've felt abandoned or they've heard people talk about, I remember in my, my, my day it was, well, you, you're a crack at it. Kids made fun of my kids' parents. Yeah. So I needed to help my child live that down, number one, by showing that's not the case today. Yeah, it might've been the case, but here's where we are today. And this is the same conversation we were having with some of the men in the halfway house. And we, I remember, I'll never forget this one guy. He told me, he said, yes, drugs separated me from my child. He said, I went to prison and I was there for six years and it took me five years to get off the drugs right and now he's out and he's in our class and he's saying man i don't i don't even know what to say to my child mm-hmm. i said well so is that any reason to not think she doesn't know what to say to you and so he told me he told me that um she called him one time this is how angry she was She called him and said listen uh he was she was staying his daughter was staying with his mother because her mother couldn't get along with her. And she called her dad at the halfway house and says, I'm gonna go to a party. He said, are you sure? She said, yeah, and it's an all bikers party. And so she was trying to get a reaction out of him. And because he was taking his class, he understood how he was supposed to respond for that, right? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm gonna trust you. If you feel this is the thing you're supposed to do, then I'm gonna trust you with that. But I I, I I believe and I bet that you can make wiser choices in that. But if that's the part you go, I'm your dad, I love you, so I'll support that. Now, that's probably sound crazy to anybody else that's listening to that. But here's what happened from that. She came to the halfway house to visit him and mm-hmm. she brought a guitar and she had no idea that her dad could play the guitar. And oh. that some of his same music that he listened to, she loved. So she was just trying to get a reaction out of him, and the reaction she got out of him was that he loved her. Mm-hmm. And I'll remember that story until I leave this earth because based on the negativity of the conversation that she was had, she really felt totally opposite of all mm-hmm. of that. And this is what we tell fathers, just hang in there, particularly these fathers that are coming out of the institution that's been cut off from their kids. We Jeanette and I have a motto around here. If you just stay in the race, if you just go get yourself together, create an environment that, that's uh, um, applicable to raising your child, go get a place, put a bedroom together. If it's a, a daughter or a son, you, you get two bedrooms. You just make sure you build it because they're gonna come knock on that door every child wants to know what their dad is, who he is, yes. and they're go- They're not going to rest until they find, until th- they answer that question for themselves. And so Ken, I-, I gotta tell you, man, I've really been able to find uh, the work that you've given me, the opportunities you've given my wife and I, just immense work capabilities, I mean, I think we've seen since the beginning, over 5,000 fathers have come through our doors, Ken, and it's wow. been directly connected to the work that you've been able to help Jeanette and I do. Now, I'll add one more piece to this and I'll do this in closing. Um, Ken, you started a program a number of years ago called uh, the Father-Daughter Summit. Yeah. And my, my wife Jeanette was able to travel with you and your daughters and it was just a remarkable opportunity. Uh, My wife was raised by a single father, as most of you know, and and this gave her an opportunity. Well, what I wanna do, Ken, and I don't wanna put you on the spot, but I know you're married today to Dr. Michelle and that she works with uh, fathers and, and daughters, Uh, And I just can't wait to see if there might be an opportunity we can get her on this podcast and she can share and talk about some of the work that she does. If you can help me get Dr. Michelle on this on this podcast, I would be forever indebted to you, my man.
0: Well, uh, you can count that in the affirmative. Yes, I will. And let's take it a step further. Let's uh, look at it uh, as a, a liftoff in this sense. I know in Seattle, the greater metro area, there are dads and daughters that need the attention and the time where they spend a day with their daughter, not on social media or looking at each other's phone, but talking about the relational issues. Let's use this podcast to uh, do a father-daughter summit in Seattle. Uh, I'll bring Dr. Michelle and I'll be there with you. And of course, Jeanette, because I believe when the hearts of the fathers are turned to the daughters, it's like a protective aura. Mm. Now we need that protection around our daughters at this time, but here's the beauty. They give to us in a way that strengthens And affirms our fatherhood, even though it may be challenging at times. Mm -hmm. And it's a win-win. It's reciprocity at its best. Mm -hmm. So I'll get uh, Michelle on the podcast first. We can talk about that. And I just want to say this. We, we, We talked about the challenge of being incarcerated. I know probably not a lot of your listeners are in that space right now. But what about you, dad? What bars or what things mm. are barriers that are preventing you from turning the passion in your heart into action? Don't defer to others. Don't wait until you're ready. Be intentional, be proactive. And that's the sort of freedom that these guys that are behind bars wish they had. Mm. It's right in front of you. Mm. So I encourage you to expend yourself in that way and your children will be richer and fuller and your heart will be connected to them and the family in a deeper way, more so than we have ever thought.
1: Man, I couldn't have said it any better or did it any better, but that's why you are the top dog man and I appreciate you so much I want to just let my listeners know that I pray that um, you continue to follow us and and uh, uh on social media and uh, and what you don't see go to our website about dads.org and you'll be able to find uh, Ken's information there um, but he's a remarkable guy you've heard it yourself the work that we've been able to do fatherhood is is uh, challenging, but it's rewarding twice as much. And so I want to thank you again, Dr. Canfield, for being on this podcast with me and sharing your 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 wisdom and understanding. And I pray, my prayer is that you would continue to do this, continue to help guys like myself, and that the community, the podcast community, gets a chance to just really feel your work and see your work. And I'm looking forward to you and Michelle spending some time here in Seattle. So I want to just tell you, thank you again and for being a blessing to Jeanette and myself and to this community. We'll see you again. We'll talk again. We'll talk soon.
0: You bet, Marvin. You bet. Take care, brothers.
1: All right, man. Thank you. Thank you for joining our podcast, Color Him Dads. Um, we just have spoke with Dr. Ken Canfield. We've enjoyed our time spending with him. I hope you enjoyed it, and we look forward to you connecting on our next podcast. Again, that's Color Him Dads, um, and you can come to our website, which is aboutdads.org. Again, thank you for joining us.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Color Him Dads. We hope today's episode has helped with your own struggles. Be sure to check back next week for another new episode with Marvin and Jeanette. Until then, have a blessed week.